Before we begin today's show, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Posh Virtual Receptionists and Axiom. Welcome to the Modern Law Library podcast. I'm your host, Matt Reynolds, a legal affairs writer with the ABA Journal. I'm joined today by best-selling novelist Meg Gardner to talk about her recent bestseller, Heat 2, a collaboration with writer and director Michael Mann. Hi, Meg. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for uh, having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, um, thanks very much. So, yeah, I guess I'll stop by asking. We all know that Heat is a beloved 90s heist movie. So where does your story pick up the novel, the, the Heat sequel or prequel? Or both? It's both, actually, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Heat 2, the novel, is a prequel and sequel to Heat, the movie. It picks up the story literally the day after the film ends. So the film is about cops and robbers. It is a crime saga about a master thief. Neil McCauley and his crew who take down high stakes scores and the relentless detective from LAPD robbery homicide who hunts him, Vincent Hanna. And the movie, this is not a huge spoiler, ends with a um, with a huge bank robbery shootout on the streets of Los Angeles and only one person surviving from the crew and not everybody from the cops either. So the film ends on, a, on that dramatic note the novel opens the next morning with the lone survivor of the crew, Chris Chihurlis, who's played by Val Kilmer in the film, waking up with a terrible gunshot wound, barely alive, desperate to escape L.A. with the cops hot on his trail. Hannah is manic to capture or kill him uh, before he can uh, get out of the city. Chris knows that he has to save not only himself, but to protect his family, his wife and child, he has to, he has to get out, go away, possibly never, ever see them again. And that launches the story. And it then uh, goes back seven years to Chicago, where uh, we meet the crew, the entire crew, Neil McCauley, played by Robert De Niro in the film. They're planning a huge tunnel heist in uh, in Chicago. Uh, Hannah is working there coincidentally as a uh, as a detective with the Chicago Police Department. Uh, that storyline takes off, and the novel goes back and forth in time from before the events of Heat to the years afterwards, from when uh, Chris escapes, manages to be uh, smuggled out of the United States to Paraguay and recover and figure out how on earth he's going to survive there and whether he can ever get back with his family, what he's going to do with himself. And it goes on into into the future with uh, up to up to the up to the new millennium where everything comes together. I should ask you about that famous street scene that like shoot out in LA. I, I went to the cinema to see Heat and I, that really kind of is seared in my mind that that scene because it's kind of a breathtaking sequence, isn't it? And I just wondered like, did the movie leave the same impression on you? And how exciting was it to, to work on, you know, something that was so revered from um, in film history? The movie is, I came to it completely unaware, like so many of us did, just, you know, watching it and just, you know, finding my hair getting blown back by by the entire film. Being asked to work with Michael Mann, who wrote and directed the film and is obviously a, a legendary filmmaker, an icon of mine, and to find out that he wanted to expand the world of heat, that he had more stories that uh, that he wanted to tell, that he wanted to write it as a novel and to work with, uh, to collaborate with a novelist, to bring that to the page uh, was exciting. 
and extremely daunting, of course. Working with your icon on a project with characters who had now kind of entered the pantheon as far as uh, as crime films and stories, you know, there's the movies in the Criterion Collection It's that uh, it has mega fans, it has people who can recite every line and detail, and knowing that uh, we were going to do more with them. I mean, Michael had always known where these characters had come from, and he envisioned where the survivors he hoped might go, and he wanted to see what was going to happen. And I was extremely excited by that possibility. But of course, you take a deep breath. You realize it's going to be a huge responsibility, that you have to do justice and honor to the work and live up to (laughs) the creator's ambitions for, for the project. But I've always wanted to write heist story. So what was I going to do? I threw myself on it, like like diving out of an airplane, hoping that the parachute was going to open. And it seems it did. (laughs) Was it daunting? And I should ask, how did it all begin, you know, working with Michael Mann on this project? He he had seen this as a project that he wanted to do for for years uh, and thought about writing it as a novel. And he's an extremely accomplished and brilliant writer until now all his work had been on you know for film and television uh he'd collaborated extremely successfully on a number of uh, films and was uh, generously open to uh, when he moved into a new arena so to speak that he wanted to work with someone who had experience uh, you know putting the story down on the page in the form of you know 400 400 pages of prose we share a literary agent so at that point he taught he he said who He'd read my novel Unsub and was interested in speaking to me about working on the project. So I said, let's talk. And at that point, you know, he had he had his years of thoughts. He had outlines. He had notes. He had character bios that he had written for the film, extensive character biographies for the major characters that did not appear on. I mean, none of this material appeared on screen, but he gave it to the actors so it would inform their performances. So he already had a rich sense of story that could come before the movie. And he had some really thrilling ideas for how their worlds would collide and develop um, in the years before and after. So I did take a deep breath because it was a really ambitious project, uh, really broad in scope. I've written, I'd written 15 thrillers. They tend to, they've been, they've been extremely well received and, and, uh, and successful. They also tend to be very limited in scope as far as time and location, you know, maybe taking place over a week or, or 10 days. So mostly in this, in the, you know, in a narrow geographical area. And here, Michael had an idea for a story that spanned decades and continents. So that bit was daunting, working with someone who had a reputation as an exacting, not taskmaster, but an exacting creative style for research, for getting the story exactly right to have the absolute pounding maximum impact emotionally can on on the audience. I knew that I was going to have to bring my A game, my A++ game every single day. But I thought, when am I ever going to get another chance to to dive into a, a world of story that I, along with millions of others, love so much and to work with 
the creator to bring it to life. And it was uh, it was thrilling. Michael's uh, all the legends about his, uh, his proclivities for research are accurate. <laughs> if you want to find out how to perform a tunnel heist in a Chicago bank, you better get a you better get a bank robber on the phone and chat with them for for a couple of hours. To find so you, out did to you did that. You did that. Yes. A retired bank robber. Let me say. <laughs> paid his debt to society and was extremely thoughtful and helpful to us. If you want to know what the nightlife, what the night scene is like in uh, in South LA, you'd better ride out with, uh, with the, the LAPD at midnight sometime to find, to see what's happening on the streets. So we did all that. But as a writer, he's um, imaginative, demanding on himself and very generous and open-minded as a collaborator, which was, uh, which is wonderful. I, I should ask you, like, why did he decide to do this as a novel? You know, because Hollywood loves like an existing property, doesn't it? Like, wh- why didn't he like dive straight into you know trying to get a, a sequel made for for film or, or TV? I know, like, this, given the scope of the story, it actually feels like it could be a TV show. But um, did he talk to you about that at all? He had. He, by the time we started working together, he had already had this firmly in mind. So I don't know what uh, originally sparked his interest in it, but he's done. He's done so much else. Why not write a novel? <laughs> And did, did he say why he wanted, because I know, like, he was already a remake, wasn't it, of a, a TV film. He did L.A. Takedown. It was a, a, a reimagining of, of that, right? Yes. He had, it, it's interesting, he had he'd written a script for Heat long before the film was ever made. It wasn't, it didn't seem to be uh, going anywhere for a while, So, but television networks were interested in having him produce a series. So he had a script for Heat, and he... He said, well, let's see what would happen uh, if this was a TV pilot. And he cut it down and filmed it as the the pilot for uh, what would have been a TV show, L.A. Takedown. And you can find that you can find that on uh, on YouTube if you if you're really interested. It did not become a television series, but it, it became sort of his test run for for what the movie might be. And he realized he he wanted it to be a big movie of a piece. So that's how uh, he went back to deciding he wanted to to make heat and thank goodness that he did because it's a, it's a marvel. Is this the first time you collaborated with someone else on a novel? And what, what was that like? What was that whole experience like? It was the first time I've collaborated on a novel. I, and again, that's when you take a deep breath. I mean, I'm used to working on my, my own material at my own pace. Of course, as a, as a novelist, you, you collaborate in a sense when you submit your work to your agent and editors and you get uh, plenty of feedback, but it's, it's all the, the creations in your own, in your own head. So coming into a world where we're expected to be true to the characters that uh, Michael had already created that I knew that I was going to have to really figure out how to get into, into his mind and into their world in a way that I hadn't before. Of course, you still get the joy of creating the rest of the, the cast, the rest of the stories. There, there are new characters, there are whole new worlds that, uh, that you go into and, you you have to feel your way uh, back and forth with a with any collaborator i think kind of kind of testing the waters you know tossing ideas back and forth and outlines and uh emails and hours long phone calls and seeing seeing how it works and then you just have to i i thought you know at this point i'm just going to have to let's say let me let me take a crack at a few chapters and and see what you think because if he didn't care for it then we needed to find out sooner rather than later so i wrote the opening chapters, uh, at least a rough draft. And he said, yeah, let's go. So it started off with us each kind of, you know, writing a chunk of an outline or a chunk of the the rough draft. The longer we worked together, 
the, the smoother it became, the more aligned we became. And eventually by, by the end of the process, we were uh, swapping chapters, swapping scenes, <laughs> sending here's an email with that paragraph <laughs> rewritten again. What do you think? It became extremely enmeshed. I don't think there's a word in the, in the, in the novel. We haven't both hashed over, spit on, rubbed, shined, discarded, whatever. <laughs> Did you have like a system in place? Was it like, I'll write one chapter, you write the second and we'll go back and forth? Was it as simple as that? Or was it more Was it more kind of organic than that? It was or- more organic than that, in part because uh, I we were just sort of, uh, you know, uh, hashing our way through the weeds, figuring out how, how best to work together. And in part because uh, we started writing in the depths of COVID when we could not literally, we could not get together and and talk about it. So we were, I was at my home in Austin. He was in Los Angeles. And then he was in Japan for months filming Tokyo Vice. So at that point, I'm, I was like, I'll take this huge chunk of the, of the rough draft. Let me, let me, let's get something on the page. And, and, and then he went over it and, but which I found was more helpful than I know some collaborators do swap, you know, I'll write this chapter. I'll write that chapter. I'll write a chapter with this character as the protagonist, you know, as the point of view character, and you write those. But we wanted both wanted to have a singular voice for the novel. So uh, we didn't separate anything out. Okay, well, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. As a lawyer, ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call when you're in court, capture a lead during a meeting. That's where Posh comes in. We're live virtual receptionists who answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. And the Posh app lets you control when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Start your free trial today at Posh.com. You're no stranger to compromise. You're a lawyer. But getting the legal team you need is a compromise you shouldn't have to make. Like when you have to invest in hiring a full-time generalist lawyer when you need a highly specialized IP counsel, or when you don't want to bring in your external law firm with their partner-level price tag. Axiom can help you match the right legal resource to the right matter at the right cost for the right duration. No legal leader should compromise their high standards, and with Axiom, you don't have to. Learn more at axiomlaw.com ABA. I'm here with Meg Gardner to talk about her novel, Heat 2. So Meg, I should ask you, what do you feel like you learned from working with Michael Mann? And, and what do you think like he learned from you about like novel writing? I learned that I could uh, clear the bar on such an extremely <laughs> ambitious project. Uh, you know, uh, you never, you, you might think your own work is terrific or not so terrific. And you, you're never sure what's going to happen until it goes out to readers and reviewers and you bite your knuckles and you you hold your breath and he debuted at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. So uh, readers certainly seemed to get it, which is a, a thrill beyond all thrills. I learned how to tackle such an ambitious project. I think that is that is it. I learned how to collaborate with another with another writer. I learned how when you trust a writing partner, that is the greatest gift you can find because that means if you are uh, if if you think something is working, but your partner tells you it's not, and you trust that they are exceptionally qualified and experienced 
and that their honesty is not uh, tied up in you know poking you for the sake of, of poking you, then you you take a look and realize that that they are right. That you can uh, that you really can go back and do something that's better. You could take another pass at it. You can you can get it there. Of course, uh, seeing how how he worked with his vast ex- decades of experience, especially in television, to see how he structures a story or a section of the book. That uh, you know, let's uh, let's imagine how we would divide this uh, up if this was an hour of television, and uh, we know where we're starting, we know where we want to end. Let's uh, let's let's figure out how we get the characters from the end back to the beginning to make sure that it all holds together, and understanding his exacting commitment to the emotional authenticity of the story and of the characters to really get to know these people. That that a deep dive into the worlds where the story takes place was revealing and and so rewarding in the end to know what a um to to find out that Vincent Hanna the Al Pacino character how he came to become a hunter essentially after growing up in the midwest and uh finding himself at the battle of way as a as a 19 year old marine and uh figuring out why his life seemed to be so unsatisfying that he was always running from something towards something that eventually he realizes that the running is what what drives him the hunt itself and to take chris shaherlis the val kilmer character and see where he come instead of becoming the the lieutenant in this bank robbery crew, how he uh, figures out what's next in crime and for himself and how he has to become a more more mature man on the uh, wrong side of the law, shall, shall we say. But how is he going to do that? And how are we going to develop that character into someone that is a leading man, so to speak, on the page, the protagonist that uh, that readers will, will grab hold of and uh, ride through hell with? It was exciting. Do you think he learned anything from you? I would hope so. <laughs> I mean, he's got a degree in English. <laughs> he was he initially thought he might uh, he might want to write before he uh, before he just he turned to film and and, and writing through film. So uh, he realized that uh, he, well, he knew that uh, novels are a different discipline. That uh, the screenplays are more lean. That their word count is uh, for a for a two hour screenplay is much lower than for a a 400 page novel so how to how to pace a, a scene in prose how you have to uh you don't have the actors react you know their their performance visually in front of you so how how much do you portray on the screen through prose their a character's uh, inner monologue versus just having an actor's face show um, show what they're thinking learning how to pace that how to pace scenes how to pay you know how to how to set up a, a section for a sequence uh, and know how to how to keep a, a reader engaged emotionally when you you don't have a soundtrack you don't have the visuals that how do you how you translate to that to the page uh is something that he, he picked up really quickly naturally <laughs> and i shall ask you like how did it all begin for you getting into this uh into becoming a best selling author which i know didn't come straight away but how did the novel <laughs> writing <laughs> but how did the novel writing start 
sort of like everybody else, I wanted to be, I wanted to write. And I listened to my parents when I said, I'd love to be a writer. My dad, who was an English professor, said, that's great, honey. My parents never discouraged me, but they said, that's fantastic. Go for your dreams. Now, are you going to go for your dreams when you are like working the the late shift at Denny's? Are you going to do them like perhaps uh, on evenings and weekends when you're practicing law? So I I got, okay, I get it. So I did, you know, I I went to law school. I practiced uh, commercial litigation at a firm in Los Angeles. Never stopped thinking that I wanted to write at some point. What happened, of course, is that when I did start to write fiction, I thought it was going to be super simple because, heck, I wrote every day. For, for um, you know, all you do is write. And as a, as a lawyer, as a trial lawyer, you're in the business of narrative in a sense, that every legal action is a story of something that has uh, broken down between characters. It's a, it's a tale of conflict. And your job as an advocate is to present your client's story in the most persuasive manner you can to the judge or the jury. So as lawyers, we're trained to bring out the compelling elements of of, of clients, uh, client's story in, in a case. That doesn't translate to writing fiction. I was shocked to discover <laughs> that it is a completely different discipline. And uh, you can't just sit down and write a novel that it's uh, it's an overwhelming project. And uh, all of the ideas that you have for starting a story, they sound cute in your head. And then um, on the page, they sort of just flop about like fish <laughs> out of water. And you have to learn how to, how to put them together and turn all your great characters and bits of banter into more than that. You have, you have to have a plot. You have to have conflict. You have to have gripping uh, stakes. You know, is, is, is it life and death? And I've always loved thrillers. I have always, from the time I was a kid, I loved, uh, you know, big stories with uh, where life and death is at stake, adventure, the roller coaster, the heart pounding, high octane sense of uh, pulse pounding excitement. So uh, that's what I wanted to write. And uh, took me took me years to figure out how to do it in a way that was uh, that was publishable. But I haven't looked back. How did you figure it out? Did anything change in your life that, that helped you do that to get to that place? I had some time eventually. To, to try it out. When our children were very young, my husband was offered a, a job in London, and we knew that that was an opportunity that doesn't come along every day. So uh, we, we jumped on it as a family. That also meant that I, was, uh, I went without, without a job, and I had no plans to requalify as a solicitor in the UK. All the kids were out of diapers and at least in preschool for a couple hours a day. And I knew that I said, you know, it's time to uh, to put up or shut up. If I if I can't use this opportunity as a, the, the time to try to write, then I, I'm never going to do it. So I did. I managed to get an agent with a, with a first novel, which kind of made a lot of rounds and, you know, got some polite pats on the back. And I thought it was the greatest thing ever. And then when I, I really just started reading and reading and reading figuring out why the thrillers and suspense novels that I read that I loved, why they worked, what didn't work, and realized, like I said, you need a plot. You need huge conflict. You need to to 
get rid of your uh, your sense that you are the greatest little thing that's ever come along. And uh, it's not your mommy that's going to be <laughs> looking at this, deciding if they want to want to to give you a contract and and, and publish it. You you really have to to clear the bar. So I didn't do an MFA or anything like that. Just a lot of um, reading some you know some some seminars. And just sitting down and telling myself, I'm gonna get this, I'm gonna get this right. So it was it's practice. It it's just practice and learning how to be ruthless with yourself and really be honest with uh, with what you've put on the page. The the first novel went uh, uh you know, it kind of sat around. And so I wrote I wrote another one called China Lake that uh, that that sold in 72 hours because I had decided to stop messing about. Well, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's legal news is rarely as straightforward as the headlines that accompany them. On Lawyer to Lawyer, we provide the legal perspective you need to better understand the current events that shape our society. Join me, Craig Williams, and a wide variety of industry experts as we break down the top stories. Follow Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Are you looking for a podcast that was created for new solos? Then join me, Adriana Linares, each month on the new solo podcast. We talk to lawyers who have built their own successful practices and share their insights to help you grow yours. You can find new solo on the Legal Talk Network or anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm here with Meg Gardner to talk about her novel, Heat 2. I should ask you, like, with your background in law, did you ever, like, think, oh, I'm going to, because so many authors I speak to that have got law background, they, they naturally go into the legal thriller mode. Why did you kind of decide that that wasn't for you, that, that you wanted to not go down that path? I had ideas for stories that were tangential to the law, but I wasn't crazy about the idea of setting a story in a courtroom. I saw stories that uh, that bumped up against crime and punishment but the tales that I was really excited by didn't turn on a cross-examination or a, a jury a jury verdict. So I, I started off with a character who who was a lawyer, <laughs> but because I felt that was kind of sa- a safe handhold. That's uh, like a, a baby step. Evan Delaney is a, is a lawyer, um, uh, but the story that's uh, in in her series is not about uh, any cases that she's uh, that she's. Um, that she's working on. So uh, that's how I kind of inched my way out onto the, into the, into the world of, um, of characters in, um, in uh, crime inflected stories. I, I just wanted to have fun. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what about your process? Like has your process evolved over the years and how, how do you get it done these days? How, how do you crank the work out? It, it has evolved and it's, uh, I had to learn to crank. When you are thinking, I want to write a novel, you can take as many uh, months or years to create it as you want. I did take two, almost three years to write China Lake because I thought it had to be uh, as polished as, uh, you know, as if I'd gotten a, a, some kind of an angle grinder and uh, shined it up like a diamond to send it out to, to publishers. And uh, you had the time to go over every single last word uh, and adjective and stare at it for an hour if you needed to. Then I was offered a contract, which was fantastic for two books, and I was thrilled about it. And of course, the first thing the editor says is, uh, can you give us a sequel? Uh, 
to this. And I say, <laughs> oh, in my mind, I'm going, oh, <laughs> Uh, what? Yeah, and I said, of course I can. And they say, great, um, we'll need it in a year. <laughs> and you have to learn to crank. You have to learn how that you can't spend uh, six months if you don't want to go uh, off your rocker. You can't spend just six months sitting around thinking about it or writing the first paragraph. You had better figure out how to how to lay a story down. And uh, literally typing 90,000, 100,000 words takes some time. So flailing is a good way of explaining how I did it at the start, (laughs) just coming up with a few ideas and then starting to type like a maniac. Uh, That didn't work very well because I found myself getting so lost that I didn't have a paddle up the creek, much less any, any map to get out of there. So I started outlining. Over the years, I have come to outline my stories and greater detail before I start to write. That uh, if I spend a month or two doing that, really getting the idea, the the hook for the story embedded, knowing the characters, who's the protagonist, who's the antagonist, what's their conflict, how can I ramp this up, what are the major turning points in the story going to be, figuring out the beginning, middle, and the end. If If you see the end, then you can know whether you've actually started in the right place and go back to the beginning. So once I started doing that and outlining writing a story treatment, I found that I saved myself having to throw away 30,000 words in the manuscript because I'd written something that didn't really stick and I could get it done in good time. So I've become more organized, more uh, more planning, less flailing. So what's next? I have a, a novel, the fourth novel in my Unsub series will be out sometime later in 2023, date to be announced soon. And uh, then more thrillers. More thrillers. I should ask you too, like, has there been talk of turning Heat 2 into a movie or a TV series? Michael Mann, (laughs) epic filmmaker known for both television and film. Uh, He has plans. I'll just leave it at that. And has the idea of you writing the screenplay come up at all? And, And is that something you would want to do as well? I've taken on something new before. Who knows what we'll do next? uh, (laughs) It's in his hands right now. Okay. Well, well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you um, on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. My name's Matt Reynolds, a legal affairs writer with the ABA Journal in Chicago, filling in for your usual host, Lee Rules. If you enjoyed today's show, please rate us on your favorite podcasting app.